Consummate Athlete seeks health, community, and adventure through movement. And here on the podcast, longtime endurance coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford and author and cycling coach Molly Herford are helping you lead your best active, adventurous life. Every week, we talk with professional athletes, health and fitness experts, and of course, real-life consummate athletes. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. We're back with another excellent episode. Peter, what's going on? Well, I'm excited that it's already an excellent episode and we've just started. And I've heard from one friend that our new intro is excellent. Okay, less Peter freestyling apparently. Mm -hmm. My eight mile dreams uh, do not not start here. Nope, nope. Or the end here, maybe. Also, mom's spaghetti squash would not really... That line doesn't really come off as well. You're so much better at freestyling than I am already. Yes. <laughs> I do love a good spaghetti squash. All that to say, yes, we're uh, we're carrying on here. We're well. Thank you for all the feedback on the new consummateathlete.com website. Uh, we've gotten some good troubleshooting, which was my intention. It was to soft launch and get help from all the, the smart people out there. Yeah, we're, we're pretty excited about the, the whole new, I don't want to call it a rebrand, but to some extent it is because we've combined, you know, Peter's Smart Athlete Coaching, my The Outdoor Edit, and, you know, all of them now live on Consummate Athlete. So that is our new our new hub, I guess. A developing hub, for sure. We're, st- we'll st- we're still trying to get all the, the pieces linked together there oh, and God. everything in one place. But I think already people are, I've already gotten a few just sort of random uh, without knowing sort of, you know, I found this, you know, I was, someone was coaching and they found an article on the site, which uh, was part of your content, right? And, and it sort of got connected because that's where they were ending up, right? And Yeah, so, and that's sort of why we, we decided to do this. And hopefully as we get to run events and, and so forth again and clinics and talks and stuff, hopefully that sort of community and sort of, um, I guess, community that sort of keeps growing, right? And, and what was it? Synergy, I guess. Yeah, synergy. I guess that's the, the hashtag. Yeah. Um, and on the topic of community, today's guest I'm actually really excited about because he... I try. I keep trying to figure out the way to say this, but I've known Timothy Rugg for I think twelve years now. Um, so he's the guest that we've had on that I've known the longest. Um, I, I've known him five years longer than I've known Peter. Um, Tim and I met when he was racing cyclocross way back when I first got started on RUCX Rucker Cyclocross team. Um, and you know we were just a couple of young kids trying to sort of figure out our different careers and where we were going and. You know, we talked all the time about bike racing and how we wanted to, you know, make our different careers out of it. I always wanted to be a writer. He wanted to be a racer. And, you know, it's actually pretty interesting getting to connect with someone who, you know, you're like, ah, 12 years, 12 years later, we're, we're doing the things that we, we sort of said we were going to do back then. Um, so that was really exciting. And Tim is now a, um, a professional road racer, does a bit of gravel. And I think he might now be an elite e-racer. Yeah, he but like a new discipline of e-racing. He's like the the long distance, like the the what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, randonneur. He's like a randonneur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in his own living room. Yeah, I mean that's he's an e-randonneur. I, I just hashtag this. We'll Ooh, have to like we'll it. have to let the wide angle podium and CX hairs people know. They'll love that over there. I think so. Yeah. So yeah. Tim anyway recently took on a three thousand miles Zwift ride. Um, just you know, in the, in the comfort of his own living room. So I really wanted to have him on. And this was like, is he allowed to say race across America? It's, it's like, you can't say that I'm saying it. You're saying it. Um, and he didn't do like the exact like distance or elevation or anything like that. Like, Oh, okay. It was close in distance, but he didn't, you know, do like a GPX file that would have him doing the elevation or anything like that. Right. So sort of in the, the spirit of that exactly no, was the time similar or what was yeah, time oh was okay so that was the, more of the connection and okay he rode indoors along like every day for 13 days most of the day basically yeah, yeah. exactly um, it's a pretty interesting episode and i mean we've we've talked ad nauseum about zwift and sort of our back and forth on on how we feel about it i mean peter with your with your training plans, with your coaching, how has Zwift sort of changed the landscape? And I mean, it's been integrated now, like well, there's downloads and stuff, so people can use Zwift and, and you know, it's certainly not just Zwift. You can use a, a variety of these virtual... In your training plans, you mean? Yeah, and I mean in general too, but in, in with training plans that I build through Training Peaks, there's downloadable workouts that you can then 
take into these virtual environments. And so it's, it's nice. A lot of people really like it because it, it's sort of adding this visual element, this almost immersive element to it. So the people that use it well, it's great. You know, they go to a virtual hill and they do intervals just like they had a virtual mountain at home and they might not, right? Like they might be in a very poor location in actual reality, but they're able to simulate, right? And this is to my analogy of the the trainer and Zwift and, and all this stuff is like a, a batting cage, right? And, and we're trying to get ready for baseball, but it's very useful to have something that you can get a lot of repetitions of certain elements of our sport, right? And uh, especially for the people I deal with where we're talking about some of this like off-road cycling, all the different disciplines of that, you know, it, it, the pedaling por- portion is not, you know, the only indicator, right? But it's a, it's a big indicator. So having some of these simulation things is really, really neat, especially when we're dealing with inclement weather lockdowns related to, uh, some sort of situation, whether that's, you know, our current, uh, virus situation or whatever, right? Again, could be weather, could be, you know, just being somewhere random. So very exciting stuff with that. And do we have an actual question there? I feel like I'm rambling now. You're, you're rambling a little. Uh, well, and I mean, I think we talked about the idea of doing these challenges. And I mean, this is right. not to say that anyone should go out and put 3,000 miles on Zwift in, in the next two weeks. Right. Um, but I mean, if you're if you're lacking motivation with your race, you know, your race is off the calendar for the foreseeable future. You know, so maybe listening to this episode gives you an idea for something that you you want to tackle. And I think the idea of challenges is, is useful, especially now when we don't have a race, right? Like a race is like I always think like this is like a deadline, and and the race in principle isn't moving. I guess that's less true these days, but it's like a deadline and you, it'll motivate certain action for a lot of people are going to be like, I know that I go out and like definitely get my hill intervals done in the, the weeks ahead. Right. And I try and be ready and prepare for that specific stuff. So I think with a challenge, whether that's like a food challenge, you know, these 30 day challenges or, um, you know, something like Tim's done, you know, it could certainly be th- just ride three hours on a Sunday. I've never ridden three hours indoors. It's going to be miserable, but we're going to get through it. Right. And that's what a lot of cycling and, and it, you know, endurance sport and sport in principle is, is to do something that's like really hard. And, you know, at some points not fun. And then at the end you're like, Oh wow, that was crazy. I you know never want to do that again. And then 10 minutes later, you're talking about how you're going to do it again. Uh, so I think some of these big challenges can be done and they don't have to be nearly this extreme, right? There's all sorts of examples of these indoor challenges or, you know, the people running around their houses we've talked about is not much different than this in a lot of ways, right? They're doing hundred milers. Where was that guy from? Did you see that story? Yeah. Guy, I feel like it was in one of the Nori, like Norway maybe or something, but I could be completely wrong, but he ran around like 200 meters around his house. And did a hundred miles. I mean, bright side bathroom access, super easy. Yeah, I guess you're on your own property. You can probably just do it wherever you want. I meant more you could go inside, <laughs> but I guess. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of going wherever you want, uh, do we want to find out more or some tips and tricks about uh, riding in the same spot for th- two weeks or what? Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's get into this interview. And if you want to see Tim's best tips, tricks, what he uses, et cetera, that's all over at consummateathlete.com backslash Timothy hyphen rug, or just go to consummateathlete.com and it'll be right up there if you're listening to it today. I'll try to find those for the show notes as well. Perfect. All right. Enjoy this episode with Timothy Rugg. Okay. It's on. Okay. Okay. Tim Rugg, I've known you for a billion years now. Um, how did you end up at the point where you decided I'm going to ride 3,000 miles on an indoor trainer in two weeks? It's a big well, question. I mean, <laughs> coming from where we met in like a cyclocross I was event. Say, and now kind of... You were a computer programmer in DC and now you're in Arizona riding a trainer. Yeah, life's changed quite a bit. Um, things were definitely supposed to be a lot different this year i mean obviously everyone can relate to that but you know when you get into a confined space for a while you start coming up with crazy ideas and sometimes those crazy ideas become the things that help you deal with crazy so i just i decided i would do something that at first i thought was off the wall and then it just kind of fell into place people were interested in it um i was able to generate a lot of support around it for other charities or even my own sponsors and my teams of past and present so i don't know it was it was a crazy idea that just became the only thing to do right now and it worked out yeah and i mean so 
you went from, I mean, I'm going to go back 12 years ago, you were kind of doing the cyclocross thing, sort of into the bike racing thing, but you were still working like a normal job. And since then, I mean, you've done the pro racer thing, but I feel like you've done it in a very different way from pretty much, you know, just most of the traditional pro routes. So talk me through that journey and where you're at now. Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, I mean, I never thought I was going to be as good as I got to, but I always wanted to be as good as I was able to get to. That's a really weird way to put it. Um, but I may not have ever seen that had I not um, left the workforce when I did. But getting to that point was hard because work was always going to be a better, a smarter decision for me. <laughs> especially yeah. In the, uh, yeah. Racing in the U.S. is very much pro-am, so I had 95% of the same opportunities as pro racers. You know, there'd only be one or two events a year that I wouldn't be able to do. Um, so I, I always just kept the job and tried to make it work. And I would float around my technology field into more positions that offered me a little bit more flexibility for remote work before remote work was a thing. Um, and eventually, eventually things changed in my personal relationship with my now fiance and I started following her around instead of her following me around and I, I ended up uh, not getting renewed on a contract for work which was a scary moment for me but it was also an opportunity to see where I could take my riding and from that moment things really kicked it up a notch and then I went and raced won a professional race and went from there and started racing internationally quite a bit so, yeah, it's kind of hard to fill in the, that many gaps. It's a big gap, yeah. but it's been, uh, it has been a wild journey. It's not the typical person who, you know, there's the stories about the guy who was a stockbroker, quit his job, became a professional athlete. That, that, that guy was highly motivated and probably very wealthy and was, was able to make things happen pretty easily. Um, I did have a good job, but I think I had a lot against me for a time with my age my timing um my different personality having a life before cycling was great for character development here and there um for myself and for others mm -hmm. but it didn't always mix in the team environment because i was never really a, a sports team person before cycling mm -hmm. i never really had the shot to be one so it's kind of weird to be in a in that position as an an older adult. So. Yeah. Well, and I think that's why you and I both gravitated towards cyclocross in our, in our younger days, because that's less of that like official team environment and a little more of the tattooed kid environment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was more of the uh, indie cyclist scene, if, if you will. Yeah, um, exactly. Everyone has like a wheel collection it, and but... like a vinyl collection at the same time. Exactly. That definitely was my draw to cyclocross is, you know, I, I love the team environments and I've, I've learned a lot through it. Um, in my, in the workforce, I've always been a great team player. Um, but in, in athletics, I was always uh, kind of, I was either too young or I hadn't developed to the point where I ever was able to be in the athletic realm. So I kind of was always a chip on my shoulder bike mm -hmm. racer from the beginning mm -hmm. um all the other barriers didn't help with that so it was kind of fun to to knock heads and cross and not have to worry about anyone and kind of be a rebel yeah yeah it's still just like it cracks me up when i think about all of like the different places that we've crossed paths over the years you know we both started in cyclocross i saw you a few years back at a race in california so across the u.s from where, where we met um and you know now now we get to chat while you're you're still out west i'm in uh, ontario and yeah lots of lots of stuff has changed <laughs> that was actually that was actually a fun trip and might have been a pivotal pivotal moment in my becoming a career endurance athlete person um because that was the year that me and my friend dan who was a mountain biker and i was trying to get into mountain biking at mountain biking we decided to pack up my honda fit at the time and travel across the country and hit as many mountain bike events and road events as we could and i remember yeah we just happened to see you at one of the mountain bike events that he was doing 
that I was considering doing, but was still too scared to do it because it messed up my road racing. And uh, yeah, I mean, that was a major trip in realizing I wanted to be on the road and I wanted to kind of rough it and take some chances and um, continue trying to be an athlete and continue trying to pursue that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I love how small the cycling world is in so many ways like that. It just, it cracks me up. Um, okay, and now the cycling world is very, very tiny. It is the size of your living room at the moment. <laughs> um, yep. <laughs> okay, so give me some of the stats. Like you did 3,000 miles in less than two weeks. What what was like your average per day? How many hours? How many miles? Yeah, so... I'll say my original projection was that I could do 300 miles a day and ride for 12 to 15 hours. I didn't do that, not even once. I rode over 12 hours once, but I never rode over 250-some miles. Um, Those estimates were based on thinking with I'd get a lot of help from the game, but I actually found out by planes on Zwift for my effort that it was actually so much harder than I could have ever imagined because there are there are ways the game is programmed that make it hard to keep going. If you stop pedaling for a second, you stop. You don't get to freewheel and get oh. all this extra mileage. So I could imagine riding across the country for real and getting like 300 miles plus of freewheeling, mm-hmm. hours of wheeling in it. In this game and in this pursuit, I mean, I had minutes of freewheeling. If, if, if that. Um, so the, the, the numbers are basically about 11 hours a day spent riding, but I did the entire thing self-supported, which is a, a weird thing to say, doing a virtual ride in your house self-supported, but I self-quarantined and I have a shelter in place order here uh, in Arizona. So I've actually been by myself for a month. So not only was I riding 11 to 12 hours a day, I was having to make all my meals, do all my laundry, and it was a lot of laundry because I went through a lot of bibs, even daily. I would like to sometimes, touch on that, yes. <laughs> sometimes multiple bibs at a time. Um, and, you know, yeah, cook my own meals, basically take care of the house, take care of my water bottles every day, filling up 25 water bottles. doesn't seem like much, but basically, no matter what, I had a 15-hour day, mm-hmm. no matter how I spiced it. And because you got to eat and you got to take these time. You got to use the bathroom a lot because metabolism flies through the roof. So, yeah, no matter what, I was spending 15 hours a day and I could only do 250 miles at most. So, yeah, it was it was a big, big amount of time. Now, 15 hours a day, were you just asleep the other nine hours? Exactly. So I, part of my mission was to ensure, to to try to promote people to stay healthy while they're staying home. And so I had to blur this, this line of was what I do, was what (laughs) I was doing healthy or not. And, and there were times where I was definitely pushing the envelope and maybe you could make a case that it was not healthy. Um, but at other times, I felt incredibly healthy during it. Um, finishing it, I felt great. I just went through some things that I needed to have prepared better for and that I wouldn't have known about had I not done it. And I think that's just an experience you get whether you're riding bikes or running and learning how to deal with blisters and stuff like that. It's just a part of the learning process. But I was never going to push myself to a point where I would need to go to a hospital. Mm-hmm. and. That was that was something I had to actually make clear to those following because I was trying to tell the dramatic story of what was going on because people love the drama. But like but not once too I realized bad. that people Yeah. <laughs> but once I realized that people were attaching to the drama and almost um, tearing apart what I was trying to uh, accomplish through the campaign, then I had to I had to really uh, hone in the good parts about it. Yeah. Because there were a lot of parts. Mm-hmm. So how did you, how were you kind of monitoring how you were feeling? What were, what stats were you like checking on? Well, I mean, the most obvious thing you can check on while you're, while you're doing it is your heart rate um, relationship to the effort you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of that's fatigue, but some of that normalizes over time once it becomes 
um, a relatively normal effort. Like whether you're a runner who runs a hundred miles a week or five miles a week, you normalize to something. Um, so eventually I saw where my heart rate felt healthy enough to where I could maintain a body weight daily without dehydrating or going into, um, much of a loss calorically. So yeah, heart rate, body weight, and just really putting an emphasis on this is not a race. This is a huge endurance challenge, but I'm going to put sleep as my priority no matter what. Mm-hmm. And obviously not a single drink or anything while I was doing it of alcohol or anything like that because everything matters when you're doing something like that. And I didn't want anything to interrupt the the, the body healing process while I was putting it through so, so much. Okay, then the obvious question, uh, when you finished, um, did you have a drink? <laughs> um, <laughs> only because I had a very nice neighbor drop something off at my door Aww. during the effort. Um, I did have a drink, and I did that in my last five kilometers. Um, I went I went live just for some people to watch as I was finishing and as soon as I finished, you know, we all cheersed each other and yes, I did have a drink. Nice. Um, what was it? It was a I want to say it was a Stone IPA. Awesome. It's, <laughs> it, it's all a blur at this moment because it didn't matter what it was. Yeah. Anything tastes great at that moment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And okay, so I really want to talk about fueling then. So what was your strategy for, for fueling? Were you eating normal meals? Were you doing gels? What did a day look like? Uh, well, luckily, I have a lot of support with science and sport. Um, so I was overloaded with the gels and the mix and the protein um, the big emphasis was put on protein because I couldn't go through a muscle atrophy situation. The biggest mistake was day one, it was over 80 degrees here in Tucson and you generate a lot of heat on top of your trainer. And if you don't have everything perfect with your fan set up and you're and airing out the area, uh, you can dehydrate fast. Mm-hmm. And I just, I didn't pay attention weather that day because I knew I was going to be inside and springtime in Tucson's wild. It can be 55 degrees or 80 degrees um, any any week. So I dehydrated pretty hard my first day. And so from the first day, after the first day, I made a big emphasis on protein and electrolytes. That was all I needed to worry about. And then just basically eat all the time. Mm-hmm. And I mean that like Basically, I was always looking for food, but the emphasis went on always have an electrolyte tab in my in my drink mix because I was never going to um, overdo it on electrolytes and always be trying to put in enough protein so I get that two grams per kilogram of body weight of protein a day. Anyway, so if I was 70 kilos, 140 yep. grams of protein a day, um, which I, I, I wasn't doing at first. And then once I started doing it, this is what I mean by learning as you go, I felt strong the second half. Mm-hmm. Like I actually felt like that had become my normal. Like a 12-hour day was my normal four or five-hour endurance day. It was just what I would do for training, and it didn't even feel that long near the end because of that you might have been hallucinating by the end yeah oh i did eat a lot of whoppers too nice so any type of variation of chocolate was amazing during it because i mean you're getting you're getting the chocolate and you're getting like the nuts in the chocolate so there's a lot of good stuff in there but whoppers were awesome i don't know why something maybe the maltiness of them maybe it was my substitute that's hilarious (laughs) Uh, were you? Did you like do any meals or anything like that? Like even just off the bike, even, or were you just pretty uh, much on bike nutrition only? So before it started, and I don't know why I've never tried this before because it's brilliant. But I made a bunch of food. <laughs> so before it started, I cooked the biggest pot of rice I've ever cooked. I still have leftover rice from um, what I had cooked 
two weeks ago. Yeah, that should and, get thrown out. Just just putting that out there. Yeah, I don't know the shelf life of rice, but it's been doing all right. Um, so, but maybe this one, maybe the leftovers will go. Might but, be fermented at this point. I don't know. Maybe that's why your last week felt good. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I cooked a lot of chicken. I cooked a lot of root vegetables. And like the chicken and root vegetables lasted me a, a week. And then I realized it was going to take me 14 well, 13 days instead of 10. So I ended up having to spend another night cooking. And that's kind of what determined how long days would be on the bike too, was did I have to cook that night? Um, but I tried to always have a breakfast before I started, a second breakfast for a short break, usually a bowl of cereal. I ate so many bowls of cereal. I went back to milk. I, I hadn't drank milk since I was a kid. And I grew up in the South. So you had two glasses of milk with dinner a night, milk yep. with breakfast, milk at the cafeteria at school. But most of my adult life, I kind of gave up milk. But I, I wanted it during the effort because it's so high in protein, fat, and sugar. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to drink. Um, so it was kind of a nutrition supplement, if you will, that I put in cereal to really help myself get through some easily digestible um, nutrients. So, yeah, I I definitely ate real meals. I thought that was important too. But it became obvious that I had to break them up into smaller meals during the day because if I ate one meal that was too big or if I ever tried to catch up, then all the blood went to my stomach. Right. And I would feel terrible on the bike. I mean, it would take – it's that idea of like don't get in a pool after you eat. Um, I experienced that to a much more – it, it was an extreme because I was already fatigued and tired. And when I make, when I made all the blood go to my stomach and got on the bike, there were times where I was like, I got to get right back off the bike mm-hmm. down for 30 minutes before I get on the bike. Yeah. Um, okay. So talking about your trainer setup, what, what did your command center look like? All right. So I am fortunate enough to have a pretty cool Wahoo setup with the kicker, the placemat, People don't put a lot of emphasis in the placemat, but that makes a big deal. Like the way your trainer will creep over time. Um, I've got a heavy-duty industrial Wahoo um, placemat that, even even as big and heavy as it is, I still had creep over three thousand miles. There, there were little humps that I would have to, to fix over. <laughs> but I had their little desk too, which was awesome because it has these grooves where I could put my phone and my tablet and the edge of the desk and actually have them upright. Because oh, um, nice. a, a lot of my ride was using technology to communicate with people during the, during the ride, whether it was daily meetings with um, special guests like Ted King and Ian Boswell, um, coming on a Discord channel and just chatting with random people who I've met over the years. Um, just, you know, basically offering an opportunity for people just to chat and be distracted for a little while and, you know, connect with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, also through the Instagram and the Facebook and all that stuff, just trying to promote charities and other things while I'm writing from my tablet, my phone and my computer, which is running Zwift at the same time, all in front of me, which is a really weird environment that doesn't simulate writing outside, but it does kind of, also add to the idea that I wasn't just riding and it and in some ways it was a lot of work and tedious um, stuff that I had to learn how to handle different things like my hands going numb because I'd be holding my phone while my other hand was supporting my entire body weight right and and not realizing how much of an impact that has on you over time Um, but yeah so much so much crazy stuff. Yeah. And okay, talk me through some of the charities that you picked to uh, to be working working toward or working towards funding. Yeah, so I had an idea in my head going in that I didn't want to be too specific about the funding. I think charities have to be very focused and clear about what they're doing, but I didn't want to be as clear and focused about what I was doing because I wanted to put the initiative and impetus into people to donate and not tell them how to donate, just encourage them to do it. Yeah. Um, Cause I've done both. And I feel like when, when you do the one thing where you're like, press this donate here button, people do it and it's great. It's amazing, but it doesn't always create that repetitive donor. So I wanted to like 
create an environment where we're talking about different charities every day and leaving the opportunity out there for people to donate, but also leaving the opportunity out there for people to talk about another organization they've wanted to support for years or donate to so that maybe they'd even do it themselves or encourage somebody else to and create that lifelong, you know, donor, um, somebody mm-hmm. who's who's making it a part of their routine to actively seek out ways to help. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the long story of it. The short story of it is, you know, my, my big e- emphasis is always on World Bicycle Relief, especially because they have a huge initiative on getting um, frontline healthcare workers bikes right now, which is critical in that's some awesome. of the regions in Africa where they work. Um, there's always um, No Kid Hungry, which we pushed while we had Ted King on. Um, we also talked about um, green cycling Norway, which is a environmental effort. But what happened during, um, during the week was they ended up figuring out a way to collaborate with world bicycle relief. So I was seeing charities collaborating with charities because of some of the communication we had on the, on the chat. So nice. And there's so, so many ways to, to give back. And even one day, because I went longer than I expected and didn't have a, a specific thing to talk about one day, um, I just piggybacked on something else I saw happening as so many other people are finding out ways to encourage people to donate, like the Garrett Thomas rides on Zwift for the NHS workers in, in the UK. I would jump on some of his rides, um, but more specifically... Richie and Ornot and some other sponsors were doing this cycle and shelter challenge um, to benefit the Center for Disease Philanthropy. Um, philanthropy. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I, I jumped on that one day, which was just trying to find someone to donate based on the miles you'd put on a trainer for the day. Mm-hmm. And Ornot was, a, they're a cycling clothing, clothing company in San Francisco they offered to to sponsor me on that day to donate on my behalf. So nice. knowing that I was going to put out a bunch of miles, so that was cool of them. So yeah, nice. it was just it was one of those it was one of those things that kind of evolved as it went. Yeah. Um, it all ha- it all happened so fast. I mean, it was a joke one week, and then I was doing it the next week. Yeah. So <laughs> I, mean, uh, I had to throw proposals and everything together so fast. Yeah. Even, try to get special guests to talk about their companies and their organizations, but it all worked out. It all, yeah. it all happened because it, we're in a unique time where people are looking for ways to help because mm-hmm. they don't even have anything else they can do right now. Yeah. So, yeah. So why not help? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to be remiss if I don't ask you, what does your fan setup look like? I know a lot of people always ask about how to like, keep cool during during their rides and i feel like you probably have some good thoughts on this so i've got a remote lasco fan that sits lower in front of me that kind of blows all the hot air that develops around you away from me so it's it's directed towards the lower half of my body and my trainer so it gets rid of the gets rid of all the heat that normally just kind of does a little cyclone in there and tears you up. Mm-hmm. And then besides that, I have a uh, another direct blowing fan. Um, I wish I knew what kind of fan it was called, but it, it blows. It's within about two feet of my face and blows direct cool air at me. Uh, and that's just to keep my core temperature down, my mm-hmm. chest and my face. And it, it blows enough air per inch. Um, I can't remember the the number for that either, but that it keeps me cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the real idea is just getting the hot air out of there. Right. Did you find uh, you were dealing with any kind of like dryness in your eyes or just like on your skin because of just having huh. a fan? Like, it, It's funny you mentioned that. I was putting on chapstick daily um, because, yeah, my lips were definitely getting like wind, wind destroyed <laughs> from fans. Yeah, that was definitely getting dry. Yeah. Um, but I was also getting hydrated quite a bit because I would be taking three to four showers a day um, on my breaks. And th- these are like very brief showers just to hygienically stay um, careful. <laughs> uh, this is a, this is the big talk. This I was going to say, this the is the talk you know I've been excited for. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, this is where I had to I had to learn some things I never knew before and had to to create some new measures, but um, And it's not like you weren't we well versed in that. <laughs> well, I never used chamois cream before this. I always was I was the taint of steel type <laughs> mindset. Oh, like, no. like well, if it's if it's so bad that I can't handle it, then maybe what I'm doing's wrong or maybe something else is wrong. But I didn't realize how amazing that stuff was. Mm-hmm. Among other things. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but yeah, we've, I mean, we've talked about this over the years since I wrote the, the book on the topic and, uh, yeah. What, uh, what measures did you have in place other than chamois cream to, to keep everything rolling smoothly for these last two weeks? All right. So in the beginning I had no measures. I was just like, you know what? I changed, I'll change my bibs, you know, once a day and that deteriorated fast. I didn't realize how fast <laughs> Part of it was the saddle I was using in the beginning, too. I was riding a TT bike on the trainer in the beginning. Um, that was part of my setup that I regret um, because it, it really set me back those first three or four days because uh, it would be a comfortable position, but there's just a, the way you pedal on a trainer isn't necessarily the same as outside, the way momentum is carried and such. So it wasn't really putting myself into a comfortable position. I was trying, I was having to try to hold myself into a comfortable position right. and that created some, some sore areas. Um, so at some point I didn't have chamois cream. Um, so I had to, I had recently given it all to a friend who was in town from Bermuda, who's been stuck here, um, because of everything that's happened. Um, and I actually had to request that they drop it off in my mailbox, which <laughs> thankfully, I mean, I hate to be that person who gives something away and then asks if he could return it, but he he was understanding considering the circumstances and uh, probably saved me. So he sent me some chamois cream back. But before I had the chamois cream, I had to I had to already start making some changes, um, and one was just switching my bibs out three to four times a day, every three hours or every four hours. Mm-hmm. It was a perfect time to try to eat something whole it was a perfect time to recalibrate make sure i'm still rolling okay feeling okay um and so i would do that and then i found anti-chafe body glide that i had because i was going to go into iron man triathlon type stuff this right. year but we don't even talk about that um <laughs> so i had gotten some of the body glide as part of my preparation see sometimes i do prepare even though i get to the, <laughs> the thing uh-huh, i'm preparing uh-huh. for but that that anti-chafe was absolutely amazing in helping me re- remove some of the um, uh, just the friction that was happening down there yep. between the chamois and my my body. Um, but like I said, days days two, three, and four were so bad that there were times where I was double chamoising. Oh I was, no! I was applying the technique. I was applying the technique that runners do when they wear two pairs of socks to try to reduce the friction and, and it doesn't work and the <laughs> blister thing. Well, it didn't work for removing the irritation that I had already developed, but it did provide a little comfort to the pain because um, I wasn't pain. I mean, there was there was definitely you know there were times where I was standing up out of the saddle for probably an hour and a half just to get <laughs> through the time I needed to get through. Oh, Tim. Um, and I just wasn't, wasn't able or willing to sit. See, this is the stuff where I was like afraid to tell people because they'd be like, what you're doing is it's dangerous. It's not even safe. And it's like, yeah, I made some mistakes. I figured out how to handle them. I'm glad I did. Cause if I ever want to do something like this in the, in the real world, then I'm already so far more prepared and understanding of what exactly is the most important um, and some of these ultra endurance yeah. type things. Um, I mean, as far as like which risk is funny management goes, I know like... I'm, I keep jumping around topics here. No, but... I love it. <laughs> yeah, well, I kept watching these things on YouTube about people who do the Ram or the Trans Siberia and stuff like this, and they're making the same mistakes that I'm making, except they're out there. They're they're not on a virtual trainer where they can you know quickly make adjustments at the home at home yeah. or take showers and stuff like that. And, you know, they were putting emphasis on time and, and how much, 
power they were putting out and it really comes down to just doing what is most healthy during it and what seems obvious now but didn't at first because I mean the first day I didn't get off the trainer for six and a half hours before my first break because I was like I just need to put in time I just Mm -hmm. need to get as much done as possible and obviously I went harder the first day than I did any other day too power wise because I was like this is how hard I need to go if I want to be able to do 300 miles a day Right. Um, and I quickly realized that that was just crazy. A lot, a lot to do with the the game programming, also on being able to complete that. But still, from a uh, physical standpoint, I was I was pushing myself physically instead of thinking about these other things. That if you just take care of those things, you really can just make it a normal thing and keep going. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't really be the, the limiter are all these things you don't take care of. Because you think it's just power and time. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's that sounds so obvious, and everyone will probably hear it and be like, "Well, yeah, of course, duh." But it's it's harder when you're by yourself on a trainer, just trying to get the work done, um, yeah. or when you're getting off the trainer after it's already been a. So I had one day where I was up at six a.m. didn't get to bed till midnight because I did a podcast at six a.m. and then I was riding with these Norwegian riders. Um, late into the night. It was supposed to be until 1 a.m., and I'm so glad I didn't. But <laughs> you, know, you get off the bike at midnight after you've been up for that long, knowing that you have to do it again tomorrow, it's hard to really motivate yourself to jump in the shower. It's hard to motivate yourself to do the protein shake. Mm-hmm. It's hard It's hard to do all the things that are so obvious because you are just so tired. Yeah. Um, and there were a lot of times where I was just so tired that thinking logically wasn't um, something that felt like was the priority, even though it was. Were there any points where you were like, you know what, maybe I just won't get back on the bike tomorrow. Maybe I'll just call this. Yeah, I definitely had a few of them. I definitely had some days where if it wasn't, that would be even day two. Uh, (laughs) There were days where if I wasn't doing it for something else, if if I hadn't have put the pressure on myself or had so many people commit to speaking or the charities involved and all that, I would have, I would have quit day one. I mean, I realized mostly because I messed up and I knew I had after day one, I knew how much I messed up on day one. Um, <laughs> and that's, I know, I, but day six, seven, eight, I knew how much easier it could have been um, had I known what I had learned throughout that. Yeah. Um, but, was there like a also, tipping point where like days, it was sort of all downhill? For, like it was all like good from there? I, I wanted to think it was like day six, seven, eight, nine. I actually felt incredible on the bike. Like I had to hold myself back. I could have rode as hard as I did on day one, but I knew what would happen if I did. Right. Um, so there was... It was it was a roller coaster. It definitely was a roller coaster. Like day one felt great. Day two, I realized it was not, <laughs> and so I was in a hole for like three or four days. Then it was great, and then the last couple of days, it was just like, okay, I know I can do this from a from an athletic pursuit and challenge. It was no longer motivating for me psychologically. And this was psychological warfare. Mm-hmm. This whole thing messing with me from technology failing while I was doing it, while trying to host a call with somebody. Right. And how much that impact my ride or my emotions or seeing people on Zwift and seeing people sitting on my wheel on Zwift or trying to <laughs> stay with somebody on Zwift. It's just like, it was amazing how much it was mentally affecting me because I was so fatigued and um, in such a um, challenging position for so long um, and in a kind of a weird position. But yeah, the, it was a, it was a roller coaster, but the last few days I just wanted to, wanted it to be done. Yeah. So I was going to finish it, but I was just ready for it to be done. Mm-hmm. And even the last day I went, I went really, really hard with, three hours to go to the point where I was going to hurt myself and then then finally 
started to feel it in my knee and said, okay, we're done. All I need to do is ride one more hour. But it's amazing how I, I say that 12 hours a day became normal, but then that last hour, it just seemed <laughs> to be the longest hour of the entire thing. Hey, Peter, what does a registered kinesiologist and endurance coach do? Well, Molly, let me tell you, I work with busy people that want to do big, crazy adventures. You know, these are people who have kids, they have families, they have all sorts of work stuff they got to do, but they have big goals. They maybe want to do a big mountain bike race, 100 miler, something like Dirty Kanza. They might just want to keep up on the group ride. And all these things are really, really cool adventures and really good breaks from all the other stuff we have going on in our, in our busy lives, right? So I help people do that. And so I really like programming and finding ways that we can fit movement into their lives. Sometimes that involves, you know, consultation around movement or trying to work through some sort of injury. Uh, and sometimes it's just dealing with, you know, fitting stuff in and getting the work done. So that's what I do. I, I coach and I build training plans and, you know, that's that's what a registered kinesiologist and endurance coach does in my case. And how can people get in touch with you if they're interested in, in well, chatting with you? You're on the Consummate Athlete podcast. You go to consummateathlete.com. You can find coaching links on that website. Awesome. Thanks, Peter. You see this with the people when you watch some of these documentaries that are going through these long events. And um, I think about Wamsley when he was doing um, – Western states. I watched everything on YouTube during this. And I was going to ask saw, you about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw him, when I saw his response 10 miles from the finish when he still could have won it, but he was just like, no, no, this deep end and this happened. No, I'm, I'm walking. And, you know, a lot of people can interpret that, interpret that as like a, as, as they did. And I'll just say that. Like a lot of people did not have a positive response to the way he responded to it. But a lot of people don't understand what really is going on psychologically in some of these ultra endurance efforts. And that what what we're experiencing mentally isn't logical. Um, and what we're doing physically is exceptional. So it's really hard to watch some of those things without that perspective to really appreciate them. Mm -hmm. I'm not telling people they need to go do crazy things to have a better appreciation, but I am saying that I wouldn't have understood and been able to relate with him so much. Um, and he is much more of an athlete than, than will ever be, but um, I wouldn't have been able to get so emotionally invested watching that, um, knowing what he was probably going through at the time I happened to be watching it. Yeah alone in the dark late into a ride watching him just quit but still keep going mm -hmm. so it was like that mm -hmm. on that note what did you watch i mean how did you find enough to watch <laughs> well i watched a lot of zwift races live i watched <laughs> oh i watched yeah what i mean if you haven't raced on zwift i'm guessing i have not I am a holdout. So I'll, I'll try to make this long story really short. Um, I was hit by a car about a year and a half ago. It disrupted my wanting to train outdoors quite abruptly. And last year, I even um, quit my team partway through the year. I was racing for uh, a West African professional team. And... I just had to stop because I couldn't train anymore because I was actually afraid to be outside mm -hmm. on my bike. Um, I was I was dealing with that. Um, my my head was on a swivel all the time, and psychologically, I was not able to handle our being even within five feet of me. It was it had gotten to a point where I just I knew that um, I needed to needed some time before I was going to be able to return to that kind of physical activity if I ever could. And then, okay, I'm making it along, going to shorten it up. So I jumped into Zwift last October and immediately out the get-go, it was super engaging and there were challenges and I found out immediately, wait, I don't have a physical problem. My problem was kind of mental to be outside, um, a little bit of psychological 
issues with um, my traumatic experience, but I immediately realized, wait, I still want to be an athlete. I'm still strong. I still can be strong. And I got engaged and I started racing and it was like a game. It was not a replacement for riding outside, but it was, it was athletic and it was a game. So it, it checked a couple boxes of being super engaging and I got really into it. And then I started seeing some of the live streams with announcers like Dave Toll, um, Dave Guerra from Zwift Community Lives, an incredible announcer. And it made it really exciting. So mm-hmm. I know you're like, but now you're seeing some of these amazing athletes, Olympic athletes, world tour riders, um, all, all hitting it into the game. And when you know how the game is played, it kind of helps watching it because you see why certain things are happening to certain riders. Mm-hmm. You see Van Vanderpool going out the back and you're like, ha, he doesn't know he's stuck in a sticky draft behind somebody because he doesn't realize how the game is supposed to be played. You can be as strong as you want, but if you get stuck behind the wrong rider, it's game over. Um, so I've enjoyed it. So yeah, what I've been watching, I watched a lot of that because I actually started a, a silly cycling team on Zwift, the Bad News Bears. Nice. And, I love it. I and, love it. <laughs> they've been getting some coverage on some of the live races so i could tune into discord which is like it used to be a gamers audio app but now it's for everyone mm-hmm. um and i tune into their discord while they're racing listening to them chat about their strategy and what they're doing during the race while watching the live feed at the same time on youtube it was a new way to engage in bike racing and i thought it was super fun um it was like that inside inside track experience of what was going on Mm -hmm. um so i did that uh i tried watching some netflix i i was watching the show outlander uh and it got so so gruesome that i could not finish this even the first season (laughs) on the trainer because again with with the mental impact of this watching that became painful for me (laughs) i just couldn't (laughs) handle some of the things i was um, I was seeing in Fair that enough. show. So, you know, I think I was watching a lot on Netflix and YouTube to begin with. And then I would f- get to the point later in the ride where I was listening to more music, mm-hmm. um, where I wanted to, I wanted to tune out. Um, I, I needed less screen time to be honest. Um, and it was kind of nice to just go into my thoughts and listen to music Uh, Mm -hmm. for a majority of the later days or something I found super engaging was listening to NPR. Um, I've always been a huge supporter of NPR and uh, we have Arizona public media here. And I found that to be a great distractor of time because when you're listening to music, you kind of know how long a song is like three minutes, four minutes, So listening to music isn't a great way to pass lots of time on a trainer because I think in the back of your mind, it knows like, okay, this is only three minutes. Okay, this is only three minutes. And so in the back of your mind, it's kind of splicing it up in this long-term thing where when you listen to NPR, you don't know whether you're listening to a story that's five minutes or 30 minutes or an hour long. Um, So I think your mind kind of loses the idea of time which makes it go by faster. Yeah. Um, but that's just something I thought about while I was doing it. Um, so that was a great distractor too. Now, lots of phone calls. Yeah. Too. Lots of discord chats, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, did you ever have any, did you have any like epiphanies or really deep philosophical thoughts that either like were reasonable or later you were like, wow, what the hell was I thinking? I feel like you I know, get those during think, really long runs a lot where they end up being completely asinine, but at the time they're freaking genius. If, if anything, I think that was the, like the beautiful part of, of riding outside for me before I um, had this incident or maybe even um, a series of incidents with bike riding that maybe took that away from me. I definitely had those kind of moments while riding a bike. It's why I rode a bike. It's, it's, you know, it's what Einstein says while he was, while he was riding a bike, he had his greatest ideas. Um, because yeah, we all go through these super introspective moments while we're riding because you're, you're in nature and you're doing something physical. So your whole body is just awake and alive. 
and I think able to come up with that kind of stuff. But I think I did have that taken from me a little bit and riding indoors, it didn't really provide that opportunity. I, yeah. I did decide and it was my way to try to force it on one of the days since I had extra days, I decided to do a blackout day where I was not going to, I wasn't going to use any technology that day except for Zwift and virtual riding, of course. Um, but I wasn't going to check Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff that just becomes so like, you know, pick up your phone and just check type thing. Um, hoping that I'd have a day like that. Um, and instead I just felt more disconnected, which was a really weird thing because sometimes I think people feel disconnected because of all the stuff. But then I realized I had disconnected myself by doing that. So maybe <laughs> that isn't a, maybe that was my moment of being like, wait, I shouldn't be trying to force, you know, something. I should just be more open and embrace where we are. Um, because I mean, that's how a lot of people are going to get through stuff like this is using technology to stay connected and, mm-hmm. and figure out how to, I mean, the, the barriers of entry for some people trying to figure out discord throughout my campaign was was really difficult for some um Mm -hmm. but you know skype discord zoom they're amazing ways to stay connected and getting rid of them would would only be losing an opportunity to still like actually have a meaningful conversation with somebody yeah 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 for sure Okay, so with all of this done, how are your legs feeling? How's your body feeling? Like two day, day and a half out. I feel great. I mean, there's no lingering issues. Sitting feels weird. Um, I don't have any injuries, but I definitely maybe I developed calluses or something. Um, sitting hasn't felt exactly normal. Hands <laughs> um, have returned complete feeling. So I don't think I have any nerve issues there. Um, yeah, I, I just, I feel good. Uh, one thing I came out of and I, I, I say this because I almost, I almost didn't want to admit that I had a beer afterwards. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a beer, but you know, like you, this is one of those times where people are um, don't know what to do with their time. And a lot of people, there's been all the stories of people maybe, you know, drinking too much and stuff like that. And I did come out of it feeling so healthy that I, I didn't have an interest to drink a beer except for the celebratory mm-hmm. um, nature of it. And that was pretty interesting that I felt I'd never felt so healthy and not wanting to change what I was doing. Yeah, I needed a break. I needed a break, but I, I had completely embraced the the ultra-endurance pursuit because I felt, from a, a physical standpoint, I felt even the, the riding was healthier because my heart rate was so much lower. I wasn't pushing those, those heart rates that actually release chemicals um, that harden your arteries and stuff like that that they've talked about over the years with pro cyclists and um, some, of the, some of the dangerous parts. Okay, so the one thing I kept meaning to ask you and I keep forgetting to is, were you stretching at all? Like, are you feeling any flexibility issues after that many hours on the bike? I don't know if you've experienced, but as a cyclist, I've never felt the need to stretch. Um, And there are mixed reviews out there. But some people say don't stretch because then you'll lose that, that pop. And some people say to stretch or you'll get injured. Um... For me, <laughs> obviously the latter sounds realistic, um, but I'm not really a stretcher, and I wasn't until I started training for multi-sport and realized how quickly some overuse injuries or um, things, uh, new parts of the body that I was strengthening could uh, could come up. Mm-hmm. I found I had to stretch during it. Um, I probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have if I hadn't noticed things, but I'd get these weird feelings in my arms because of how many how many hours I was spending putting pressure on my arms where I'd have to just reach up to my ceiling while pedaling and like stretch my arms backwards so so that I wasn't in this frontward position, you know, the at the computer twelve hours a day yeah. type position. And so 
to prevent some long-term nerve issues there, yeah, I had to stretch. Yeah. Um, I, I would stretch a little bit in the morning because days three and four, I couldn't even flex my muscles. They were so good <laughs> and probably because they had gotten hydrated and maybe a little bit um, deprived of some protein. I wasn't as good about the protein until um, probably day four or day five. Mm-hmm. Um, just being more accountable with the amount I was getting in. Cause even, even now 140 grams sounds like so much to me, um, that it, it's, it's hard for me to wrap my head around finding that much protein. Yeah. Uh, but once I realized how easy it was, as long as I just took my shakes and ate regular meals four times a day, at least while doing it, it wasn't that hard to add up. Right. Yeah. So I was having to stretch just to try to get some muscles to fire again at some point. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. You didn't want to end up with an overuse injury because a muscle wasn't firing. So yeah, yeah. I was stretching. Yeah. Here and there, but I'm still not a good stretcher by any means. Fair enough. All right. So with all this over, what's what's next? Are you just like, yep, I'm going to do Ram now, or are you still on the Ironman bandwagon, or where are you at? It's funny. I mean, you, you would have gotten a different answer every single day while I was doing it. Yep. Um, so I, I once was like, I was having a conversation with some, some of my friends and sponsors on one of the calls one day, and we started joking about doing the real thing of Ram. And that joke, it's just like what I ended up doing. It quickly becomes into like, well, what would it look like? And then logistics <laughs> start like, hey, maybe we should. But, you know, you asked me that on another day. It's like, no, not even thinking about it. Not even interested. Nope. No thanks. But, so I don't know. I don't know exactly what I'll do. There were days where, so, you know, what I did in the beginning, everyone was like, you're insane. And then after the first week, everybody was signing up to do a 24-hour challenge to see how many kilometers they could do in 24 hours, which to me is also insane and to mm-hmm. everyone else is. But it's just so funny how in in only a week, the difference of what I was doing, the idea behind doing something ultra became a regular thing for so many people. Yeah. Um, so I actually wanted to jump in this Friday into the 24-hour thing because I was like, you know what? I got to be in the best possible shape for that right now. Like, um, But I'm not. Um, when I think about it, <laughs> so, and my coach was very um, forthcoming and and pumped the brakes for me about you know just just focusing on recovering and not right. worrying about next thing right now. Um, that what I pulled off because again, like I said, like later in the challenge, I knew I was going to complete it, so I lost that sense of accomplishment even before I was done. Um, but he had to remind me and that's why he's my coach that, you know, what you did was a big accomplishment and your body's going to need some time. Yeah. And you know, it's really easy to, to accomplish something and then be like, okay, I got so much was going on during that. There was so much, so many good vibes and so many good sensations. I need that back right away. Yeah. But I didn't need to just marinate in the fact that I did it. Uh, because it wasn't a small thing and it doesn't matter that I was feeling good later on. It still took a massive toll. And before I even start considering what I want to do next, I just need to listen to my body for a little bit longer to make sure everything's okay. So I won't be doing anything right away. And we're in a position where that's just fine, I think right now. Uh, But I will say the ideas of doing some crazy ultra stuff, whether it be running or cycling has definitely sparked my interest more than ever. Okay. And if anything, that might be the epiphany. That might be the epiphany that, you know, ever since I started riding a bike, I wanted to ride across the country. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why I got a bike. That was the first thing I said I wanted to do when I got a bike. I didn't even know there was bike racing when I did that. It was just, I got a bike. Why not ride across the country? Mm-hmm. One of those, I mean, that's probably... So many people probably had that idea the first time they got a bike. That's why it's happened. That's why people are still doing it. 
Well, but, I think if you can dig into your email archive and ever find them, I think you and I have talked about this. My great, great, great uncle in like 1923 rode his bike across the country when it was fixed gear, full rubber tires, no roads through half of it. Um, and he wrote like a little novella, like um, autobiography thing about it um, that I should send you one of these days called Frisco or Bust. So it's what got me writing books, actually. Funny enough, didn't get me into cycling, but made me want to write books. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to have to dig into a deep email archive. I feel like we talked there. about it. <laughs> um, talked about a lot. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so that, that's, that's something like I've always thought I wanted to do, but as I became a cyclist or, you know, a racer yeah. and um, tried to pursue a career in it, something that I could sustain. And when I say career, I just mean the ability to keep um, having opportunities that, um, people want to support and, um, share with me because that's, that's pretty much what the career is for me. Um, just a way to share and have stories really. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll see, uh, but the epiphany was to not wait for the things you want to do because something else is in the way right now. Like, cause this could happen. Like, yeah. If everyone everyone is feeling that same thing right now, where they wanted to do something, but now they can't. I wanted to get married, but now I can't. Um, just just that urgency of life is ever present, and that if there's something you want to do, don't just wait on it because there's something in the way. Just just attack it with the urgency because you might not be able to otherwise. I love it. And obviously, that's another that's another obvious thing, but. No, Sometimes that's it takes perfect. this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a perfect spot to end. So where can everyone follow, well, catch up on this adventure and follow along with all of your upcoming ones? I'm not the best at being consistent anywhere, but I try on the Instagram at Timothy Rugg. Perfect. Awesome. Oh, and who are you on Zwift? Can people follow people Did on Zwift? we just Zwift? disconnect on that? Oh, no, Sorry. We're back. We're good. <laughs> For a second, I thought we disconnected. So I was like, that's <sighs> perfect timing. It's, al- it's always that way. I swear to God, like one out of every like six calls or something drops in the middle of the goodbye. It's so annoying. Uh, can people follow people on Zwift? I wonder How does if that work? Skype... Yeah, so you can just search anyone by name on Zwift. Okay. Um, if you have the companion app, the best way is you got to have the companion app with Zwift and... Um, from that, you log in, and you can log into Zwift whether you have um, an account or not, because you can have a runner's account and log into Zwift, and then get the companion app on your phone or tablet or something, and then you can actually search for people while they're doing activities. And if you have the actual Zwift app open, you can click on Fan View in the companion app and be able to see exactly what they're doing at any uh, okay. given point. Cool. Um, you can watch and follow whoever you want that's out there in the Zwift world. Nice. It's pretty wild. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for doing this podcast. It was good to catch up with you. Thank you. It was great catching up. It's been, a, it's been way too long. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. While you still have your podcast app open, do us a huge favor. Head over to iTunes or whatever app you're listening in and rate and review the podcast. It's super helpful. It you know gets us more guests on the show. It gets me a dog. Um, and it's just you know a good way to give back if we've provided any kind of value to you throughout all of the episodes you've listened to. If you're looking for the show notes, you can find those at www.consummateathlete.com. We have lots of other content over there and any information about coaching or events can also be found at that same website. And you can find us on the social medias at Molly J. Herford and at Peter Glassford on Twitter and Instagram. And we would love to hear from you. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week.